Good morning, church. How many of you love Jesus today? It's got to be one of my favorite moments of the service. Uh, we all have such different stories, backgrounds, families of origin. All of our stories are so different, but we have something in common that is greater than any difference, and that is Jesus. Amen? As we uh, prepare to jump into today's message, I want to I actually ask you to join me as we pray for Israel this morning. It says in Scripture that this is something that we're instructed to do. In fact, could you just for a moment stand with me and, uh, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the fact that we can come before you and, and pray, and we know that you hear our prayers. We know, God, that you not only listen, but you act, Lord, according to your plans when we pray. And today, Lord, we're reminded of what it says in Psalm 122, verse 6, where it says that we are to pray for Jerusalem, for the peace and the prosperity of your people there. And we just pray that over that whole region, God. We ask that you would stop violence, that you would stop, Lord, attacks, and that you would stop hatred, and that you would bring about peace, and that you would bring about, Lord, protection of lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you, God, for your care and for your power today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for, for taking a moment to pray. I want to encourage you to continue to pray. When we hear news, uh, one of the things that we tend to do right away is we tend to pick a side or pick a channel or pick a, a, a script or something that we can, that we can kind of subscribe to and, and have opinions about. But what if our first response to the things that happen in the world around us was prayer? What if we first and foremost pray and then ask God, okay, God, how can I invite you into this situation? How can I see your plan in the midst of suffering? And how can I, how can I believe? How can I match your heart as I, as I respond to this? Amen? So let's continue to pray and let's continue to believe. Today we're going to jump into our fourth message on our Redwood Faith series. And uh, we talked about the Redwood Forest. It's really kind of a theme for us here at Emmanuel. We talk about how there are, these forests are such a perfect analogy for us when it comes to faith. These trees that are hundreds of years old, they're tallest, largest trees on the planet. And uh, they've been around. They've survived fires. They've survived all kinds of storms. They've survived all kinds of droughts. And, uh, and, and the reason they are able to be as resilient, as strong, as long-lasting is not just because of their height, not just because of their immense size, but because of their interconnected root system. And their roots don't go super deep, but they are very broad in their connection. And uh, Pastor Nate has helped to lay out the, uh, the, the principle behind that, how we find strength in the forests. We find strength in connection with each other. We find strength in connection to Christ. If you believe it, say amen. And, uh, and uh, as we are gathered and, and connected to Christ, then what happens is we're able to endure because we're not isolated. We're not disconnected, but we're able to find strength in each other. Some days you might have a lot of faith, and I might need to borrow some faith from you. And some days I might have, I might be full of faith and I can lend you some of my faith and believe for you. Amen. 
And today, uh, the title of our message for today is Light It Up. Can you say that with me? Say, Light It Up. Light It Up. And uh, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. If you want to go there with me, it's a great snapshot of the church uh, in the first century and what Christ began to build in the community of faith. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, and a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. And notice these final phrases that I'm going to that I'm going to read here and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Something was happening in the community of faith, in that forest that God was cultivating, called his church. Something was happening internally. It was generosity. It was joy. There was sharing. There was meals. There was prayer. There was teaching. There was worship. There was all kinds of things happening. But it didn't stay restricted to that, that scope. What happened is the people around begin to notice. They begin to enjoy the goodwill of the people around them. They weren't uh, they weren't isolated or insulated from the world around them. They actually had an impact. People observed how they did life, how they treated each other, how they, how they responded to needs, how they practiced generosity, how they loved. Jesus said that this is one of the trademarks by which we will be known as his disciples is the way that we love each other, right? And, uh, and people noticed and begin to have to send, you know, show favor and goodwill to them. And the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, you may have heard me tell the story of when I was studying in college, Bible college, back down in Argentina, city of Buenos Aires, in a previous millennia. And, uh, and I, was, I, I studied there. I had all my Christian uh, roommates, most of them I think were Christian, roommates at the seminary. Uh, we had, I, I, we had you know, classmates, I had my friends, I served at church, I actually did a work study at the, at the Bible College. So I, there was a moment where I was completely surrounded by believers and by the family of faith. And God convicted me and said, you need to break out of your bubble. And you need to be connected to people that don't know me so that they can discover hope and faith in me. And uh, I was really comfortable to tell you the truth. And so, I, you know, it would have been just easier for me to say, you know, I'm just going to, I'll do that someday, God. Or send someone else or, you know, give that assignment to someone else. But I remember that that summer I, I said, okay, I'm meant to not uh, work in, uh, in, in, in the office anymore. I'm going to go and find another job. So I tried looking for a job in retail, didn't work out, looked for another job, uh, doing something else, didn't work out, finally landed a job at a small factory building headlights. And, uh, and I worked for $1.90 an hour. So don't complain to me about your salary and wages, okay? And uh, I, I had to be in the factory door at 7 a.m., but I needed to walk three blocks take a bus to the train station, ride the train for about 20 minutes, 
take another bus and then walk another six blocks and make sure that I was in by 7 a.m. So I meant I was leaving my house by about five in the morning. And then uh, that's when I really begin to empathize with people when they fall asleep at church. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm just honored that they chose to come and take a nap here. That's just, that's, <laughs> I love that, you know? And so, um, and I, you know, I was spending like two hours of wages just on travel fees and, uh, and public transportation. So, but I, I knew that this was not, this was not uh, going to make me rich by any means. Uh, but I knew that, okay, this is a step of obedience and a step of, of, of going and, and, and being in contact and connected to uh, the world around me and being able to have interface with people that didn't have faith. And, uh, and as I was there, you know, I got to uh, connect with some of my, my coworkers and we got to know each other, hear each other's stories and listen to each other's stories. And, and, and it, you know, and it came up that, you know, that I had a faith in Christ. Now they could hear my words, but what really ended up happening is they saw consistency and that's what gave credibility to my words. And how many know that too often we might have the right words, but if we don't have the actions to back it up, we're not going to experience the goodwill of the people around us. Because it's our track record and our actions that either undermine or they give authority to our words, to our voices. Even our digital voices. You can post all day and have the right words, but if you don't have actions to back that up, it's not going to make an impact. In fact, it's going to do the opposite of what you, uh, what you intend. Now, I'm, I'm at this factory, and at one point, you know, I was already dating Analia, and, and I wanted, I'd seen this uh, really nice perfume that I wanted to get her uh, for one of our, you know, anniversaries as we were dating. And I started doing the math, and I'm standing there. It was a really monotonous job, you know, plugging little wires into the thing and then gluing on the glass. And, and it was just, it, it was, it was like not very exciting, not very fun. And I'm doing the math in my mind about how much I needed, how many more hours do I need to work to be able to get uh, the, the money to be able to buy this gift for, for uh, my girlfriend. And, uh, and God, at that moment, he, he kind of, you know, he confronted me and he said, hey, you're not here to make money. And uh, I was like, you think, Lord? Uh, that's pretty clear. And, uh, and he's like, no, 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 no. You're not here to make money. You are here on assignment. You're here for a mission. You're here for a purpose. And, uh, and, and throughout that, that really shifted my, my perspective. I realized that I, was not, I, I wasn't there for myself. I wasn't there for my own plans. I wasn't there to, to build my own net worth or my, you know, get my own goals and achieve my own things or retire comfortably or any of that. I was there because God had called me to that place. And that's the door he opened up. And throughout the months that I was there, uh, I was able to have moments where I had significant conversations, was able to pray with coworkers and, uh, and, and share the faith and the hope that, that I discovered in Christ. And it helped me. It really, it really stuck with me over the years. This is way back in the 90s. And, and I've kept that principle with me at different stages. It's something I teach my kids. I always say, you're not here to make money. You're not here to, 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 to build your net worth. You're not here to retire comfortably. You're here on assignment. You are here with a purpose. You're here to connect with the people you're meant to impact. You're not meant to be 
insulated, disconnected from the people in the world around you. You are meant to have an impact on them. And many times the greatest impact is through the consistency of your faith in your life. I think of the, the story of Saul of Tarsus, you know, as he was far from God and chasing and resisting and, and, and violently attacking anyone that had faith in Jesus. And he's on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden there's a blinding light that knocks him to the ground. And he says, what's this? And Jesus says, it's, it's, you know, why are you persecuting me in the church? And he says, who are you, Lord? It's Jesus. And so he has an encounter with Christ. He, he becomes blinded through that and is guided by the hand and left in a house in Damascus. And he begins to pray three days, three nights. And he's like, okay, what do I do next? I can't, I can't get around. I can't see anything. What just happened to me? His whole inner world, his whole values and faith structure got shaken. And, and he's like, what, what is going on? And he has this vision of a man that comes and, and, uh, and prays for him, lays hands on him. And I want to pick up that story just briefly in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. It says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man, named, a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And I have given him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument, and take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So Ananias is minding his own business, and, and God shows up, and he says, I want you to go and heal a terrorist. And Ananias says, is that you, Lord, or is that the devil? Should I rebuke this? And, it, and God says, no, it's me. I want you to go and do this. And, and he says, God, Lord, you don't need to tell me who it is. I know a lot about him. I know of the reputation. I, this, is, this is a lost cause. Lord, send me to someone else, or send someone else. Is this a trap? You know, and, and uh, he finally gets to the place where he's like, I've got I've to walk in obedience. He takes his steps and he goes, enters, and he says, Brother Saul, and, uh, and, and uh, establishes a connection there and prays for him. And God heals Saul. Scales fall from his eyes. You can read the whole thing in, in Acts uh, chapter 9. And then, he, and then he says, hey, have you been baptized? Do you know about the Holy Spirit? And he prays, and it's such a significant moment. I want you to notice something. God could have had another supernatural encounter or sent an angel because he knocked him to the ground through this bright light so he could have sent another bright light to heal him. And then an angel and then some other apparition or something. But God chooses to use the willing Ananiases of this world. He chooses to use you and me to be part of that equation of growth and connection. And then Ananias, you know, prays for him. God restores him, sets him on path. And then God brings someone else into the equation and brings a Barnabas in to walk with Saul. And he says, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of people that don't trust you, but I want to I vouch for you. I want to give you my reference. I want to stand with you. Let's walk together as you continue to grow 
in your purpose. God has says that you're a chosen instrument and I want to, I want to agree with that and I want to accompany you as you become everything God has called you to be. And uh, we are too quick to stick to whatever reputation we've heard. We're too quick to pass life sentences on people and say they're never going to change. And of course, they can't in their own strength, by their own means. But God can step into a story and make all things new. That's what baptism is about, right? He makes all things new. You and I are part of the equation for the connection, for the growth that needs to happen. Love a, a simple illustration that I learned from a book that I've been reading by Gordon MacDonald uh, called uh, Mid-Course Correction. And he talks about how when uh, we think of faith, oftentimes we kind of have like a, like a line of definition, a circle, like the one that you got right on the screen there. And, uh, and, and we think of, okay, this, this circle might be a creed, it might be sacramental practices, it might be serving, it might be a church attendance, it might be a prayer you need to say, it might be even getting baptized, a lot of good things. But that, that kind of determines if you're in if you go through these things. So if you can check these boxes, then you're in. You went to growth track. You're serving on the production team. You're on first impressions, whatever that might be. The thing about this is right, right away, if we think of it in discipleship and alignment as, okay, there's check marks and things, boxes to check, and then we're finally in, then we start seeing everyone else as, okay, they are out of that. And they are, dis and so it's kind of an us and them thing that happens. And that doesn't draw us closer to them, it actually distances us from them. And then the sadder thing in this is that once we're in, we stop moving. We stop progressing. We stop growing because we already said the prayer. We already checked the box. We already did what we needed to do. And so then we're just, we're in and there's nowhere to go from there, right? Just need to make sure you don't fall out, right? But there's a better way to look at faith and discipleship, and I uh, love how, how uh, Gordon McDonald phrases this. He says, think about the center of that circle. And the center of the circle is not my preferences. It's not my worship style that I like the best. It's not uh, the color of the carpet. It's not uh, my convenience. The center of the circle is Christ. Amen. Christ is the center of that circle. It's not even my church, my local church. Christ is the center of the circle. It's not my favorite ministry. Christ is the center of the circle. And if we look at discipleship as movement towards the center, that helps to frame it. Because all of us are moving in our pursuit of Christ. All of us are taking steps to grow closer to him, to learn from him, to reflect him better. Amen? I hope you are. I hope I am. We all need to be moving. It's not just like, okay, I did this, and now I can just, I, I just got to wait for the rapture or to die and uh, hold on to the faith, right? It's, I am moving. I'm pursuing Christ and his plan, his purposes for my life. Now, park that thought for just a moment. Bring back Ananias and Barnabas. God will use people at different stages, even before you know Christ, even before you've surrendered as Lord and Savior, even before you've been baptized, even before you've started a journey of connection and, and growing in discipleship, even before you've learned how to read scripture, before you've learned how to pray, before you've done all these things that are positive and they're part of following Christ, 
God will bring people along at different stages of the journey to help encourage you. And that's the power of the forest, the power of the strength of being connected to each other. God's not only going to use blinding lights and angels, he will use people just like you and me more often than not to accomplish his purposes. So who are we meant to encourage? Who that is not yet a believer and follower in Christ, can we be an encouragement to? Who is someone that's new in their faith that we can also encourage and cheer on? Who is a little farther in their faith that we can also uh, help to develop and challenge to grow and continue to, to take steps of faith and obedience? Who are we meant to be connected to? Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds, everyone say good deeds, shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Jesus compares us to two things, and he talks about us in essence being salt and light. Now, when we talk about salt and light, you know, I brought my uh, salt shaker. I need to confess to my wife that this is where it is in case we're missing it later on. We think of salt as a seasoning, optional thing. You're like, oh, my blood pressure is not great. Better not have any of that, right? Uh, we think of it as an optional thing that we could add to, to a meal, right? This is kind of our primary use for salt, unless it's winter and you got to melt the ice on your sidewalk as well, right? But this is kind of our current uh, thought or concept. We, go, we drift to this. In the days of antiquity, when Jesus was talking to people and he's saying, you're the salt of the world, they thought of salt in different ways. Now, there's a bunch of functions. They use it as an antiseptic. They use it in, in wars to be able to sterilize uh, different uh, fields and, 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 and prevent harvest. But then one of the primary things that salt was used was to preserve, to keep. And so they would salt different protein to be able to keep it. And uh, that would be closer to what we got right here, and I'm not selling these after service, right? So it's preserving, it's the canning and pickling. I did not know Jesus was into pickling when he said that, but evidently he was. For preserving, there's this aspect of salt when it comes in contact with other elements where it can help to preserve it. It prevents decay. It mitigates corruption. If we are isolated and insulated from the people of the world around us, we aren't having the impact that God wants us to have on their lives. We're not, we're not expressing and sharing the joy, the hope, the forgiveness, the gospel, the, the truth, the reality about Jesus. If we are stuck in our bubble like I was when I was in seminary, we're missing out on one of the essential purposes that we have. We are meant to be in contact with the people of the world around us so that we can share what God has initiated in our own hearts. How many say amen to that? 
Now, if Jesus was using an illustration uh, currently, he might say, you know, thinking about preserving, he might say, well, you are the light of the world and you are also the ice packs of the world, right? You are here to uh, help to slow down, mitigate corruption and decay, to, to preserve, you know, and if you're Scandinavian, you might be Nordic ice with a Viking there. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe not. Maybe not. I would much rather be the salt of the world than the ice of the world, right? Uh, and so as Jesus talks about these things, he says, you're the light of the world, the light for humanity, not just the light of a ministry or a church. It's the light for the people in the world around you. And that light needs to be visible. It needs to be consistent. Can't be strobe lights in the world around us, right? We can't be intermittent or we can't be, you know, we can't be sporadically shining. We, in essence, God is shining in us and then we reflect that to the world around us. So how can we light it up for the world around us? Some deeds and actions that can help us to inspire and ignite hope in the world around us. The first thing that we can do, we can practice hospitality, both in the church and in our home. Practice hospitality, both in the church and in our home. This is of a, a huge value, you know, throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. And sometimes we might feel like, oh, well, that's, that's just, it's foreign. It's like, it's, it's old, it's ancient customs. But the principle of hospitality is taking step towards others to help them feel at home. It's saying, hey, there's a spot at the table. You might have noticed it, but I want to invite you to make it your own. It's initiating the, the care and the, and the love towards others. How many are grateful for our first impressions team that's here day in and day out? Can we give it up for them as well? One of our best teams. And uh, I'm not going to mention teams. You know, all of our teams are the best team. Everyone gets a blue ribbon. Um, but I think of our, our first impressions team, you know, and how they help us, even from the moment we drive on the parking lot, even if the pond is over flooding, we got a lake on our parking lot. They are there and they got a big old smile and they're like, I'm excited that you are at church today. And then you, you get, you park your car, you start walking in, you got someone greeting you at the door and they're like, so good to see you. Maybe a high five, maybe a hug, maybe just a wave. And just helping us feel at home. Then you walk into the lobby. Someone greets you there. Then you got someone holding the doors open for you and helping you feel at home in the house of God. And, that, and there's something about the warmth of saying, I feel like I belong here. I am welcome here. That we can't take that for granted. We can't just expect people to, to assume that they're welcome. We need to communicate that. And we need to do the same thing in our, in our own home as well. We need to learn how to be hospitable. I've heard it said, and this is probably invented by a rival state, but they say that Minnesotans will give you directions to any place except for their own house. <laughs> I'm not buying that, right? I do know. I had, we had dinner with a friend that moved out of state and, uh, this past week, and, uh, and my friend Daniel was saying, I really miss... Emmanuel, and I really miss Minnesota, and it, just the warmth, and I'm like, Daniel, was that quick, or did it take a little while to get there? And he's like, you know what? It took a little while to get there. 
Sometimes it can be kind of hard to break in. When you make a friend in Minnesota, though, you got a friend for life, right? It can take a little while to break in from transplants, people that have come from other states. That's what that, you know, some of the things that I've heard. But once you have made that connection, then you got that connection for a long time. We need to operate in kingdom culture beyond Scandinavian culture, Minnesota culture, Florida culture, whatever it is. Beyond our family of origin, we need to operate in the principles and the values that we learn from Scripture. So practicing hospitality fulfills what it says in Romans 12, 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Notice the people around you. Help them feel at home in your neighborhood, here at church. Notice, take the initiative, look people in the eye, be welcoming and be warm. Those are good deeds that reflect and represent our Heavenly Father well. Second way to light it up, stay salty. Turn to the person next to you and say, stay salty. In a good way, in a good way, right? Gotta... Staying salty, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's make sure that you are in contact with the people in your life that you are meant to inspire, to impact, to serve, to minister to. Don't get insulated. Don't grow withdrawn from the people that God has assigned you to serve. Don't, you know, what if Ananias had said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay in the salt shaker. I'm going to stay safe. I'm just going to keep on going Sundays and Wednesdays and I'll be there and I'll serve on a team. He said, God, I'm going to step out and initiate. I'll build the bridge from my side to help impact and share the hope that I found in you. Third thing, this is a great one. Listen, then speak. Listen, then speak. I saw some elbows fly right there. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Say that with me. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. How many get this order screwed up sometimes and do it the opposite way? Right? Some of you didn't even listen. You saw someone else raise your hand. You raise your hand too. It must be time to raise my hand, right? Being quick to listen involves getting better at asking questions. It involves getting better at paying attention. It involves uh, seeking to understand. It means I'm not going to formulate my argument to discredit what you're saying. I'm actually going to listen to what you're saying. And if we are able to slow down our reactions, our need to say our piece, to always get the last word in, we're able to delay that and slow that down, then what happens is we're going to live a lot less angry. So many of the times that we get triggered and we get, we get caught up and we get our fight or flight or fawn or, you know, freeze or whatever kicks in and we get, and we just, you know, we get stuck in an emotion. A lot of times, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's because we haven't really listened thoroughly and we've allowed ourselves to react too quick. And so, you know, as we understand that we are called to reach all kinds of different people, the up and outer and the down and outer, 
different ethnic groups, different neighborhoods. We're called to impact the people of our world, the ones that shop at Target, the ones that shop at Walmart, the ones that shop at Aldi. Where are my Aldi people at, right? The ones that, when they go to Trader Joe's, London Byerly's, Kowalski, we could do this all day, right? Sam's, Costco, <laughs> all kinds of different people, all kinds, and we're all, they live within the scope of our world, and we are meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be hope and inspiration and a reflection of God to them. Everyone has a story. People who drive pickups and people who drive Teslas. Everyone has a story. If they are within the scope of your world, then God is giving you an opportunity to be light and salt. As we take time to listen to other people's stories, what happens is as we're practicing that being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, that opens up an opportunity for trust, an opportunity to also share our story. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 is kind of the next step. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So there's the listening, the noticing, the serving others. And then we may have an opportunity for others to also ask and be open to hear our story. And with gentleness and respect, we can give reason of the hope that we have. We can give testimony of the impact that God has had on our own story. The final thing, how do we light it up? Be a fan of your city. Be a fan of your city. Analia and I, our kids, we've lived in so many different places. But wherever we are, we have a sense and a conviction that God has planted us there. That's our city. That's our place. And Aliyah and I love going on walks. We love uh, talking. We love connecting. And uh, if my kids are ever in trouble, I will say, let's go on a walk. And they know what's going to happen. About halfway around the lake, I'm going to bring up the issue. They can't go anywhere. We're halfway. <laughs> but you got to talk it out. One of the things that I love about going on walks in our community is we take time to pray for the, the people that live there. God's planted us there. And we notice the people around us. And we're praying for them. We're praying for God's favor on them. We're praying for God's, God's hope. We're praying for God's wholeness and healing. We're praying for God's purposes for them. We pray for uh, our, our city officials. We pray for the businesses in our city. And we say, God, we want, we want the place where you planted us to prosper. It says in Jeremiah 29, 7, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So what would happen if we prayed for our neighborhood on a consistent basis? What would happen if we prayed for our schools, for the families at homeschool in our community? 
for the businesses, for the leaders. What would happen if we became fans of the city where God has planted us? Would we not be predisposed when there is an opportunity and openness? Someone that says, you know what? I'm in a hard spot. Someone that says, hey, could you pray for me? That's what happened to me back at that factory. After a while, after seeing some consistency, people were, they were a little more trusting and they were a little more open and say, you know what? I need you to pray for my family. My marriage is struggling. And I was able to, in a respectful and gentle way, not a condemning way, say, you know what? I know the one that can make all things new. I know the one that can bring hope into the most desperate situations. Why don't we invite him into your story? And if we're looking for those opportunities, we'll start noticing them. I want to end with this. Uh, we were on a mission trip in, in England, in London, this past July. And uh, the pastor that was hosting us took us to a different uh, city where they're looking at planting another church. And we were there gathered to kind of hear a little bit of the story and to pray. And, and all of a sudden, there was this lady that was pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She came up and said, are you guys talking about Jesus? And we said, yeah, we're actually, we're, we're actually going to pray in a moment. And she said, I, I had to leave my home. Things were in such a mess. And I've just had this internal anxiety and turmoil. And I was just pacing this park and asking God for a sign, asking him for an answer. And then you guys came and you started talking about Jesus. And I wonder if that's a sign or not. And we said, it's exactly what's happening. God will use people at different points of the journey to bring hope, to bring light, to bring grace, to preserve, to stop the decay, to stop the suffering. And we get to be those people where God has planted us. Amen. Would you stand with me? What I'd like to do at this point before we go into a song, you know, a lot of times we take time to pray for our own journey and our own needs. And there is a time and there will be a moment at the end of the service for that. But could you join me as we pray for, for two things specifically? I want us to pray first for the people in our world that do not yet know Jesus. And you might be thinking, as soon as I say that, you might be thinking of a coworker. You might be thinking of of a family member. You might be thinking of a prodigal son, daughter, brother, parent, sister, whatever it is, a neighbor, someone that comes to mind, begin to, in a moment, pray on their behalf. To intercede is to contend in prayer and faith on behalf of someone else. And pray that God would direct and guide their steps. That the right conversations would happen at the right moment, that there would be an openness in their hearts and that God would prepare everything for them to encounter Christ just as Saul of Tarsus did. Can we do that? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. I want to encourage you in your own voice, even if it's a whisper, just begin to call out on behalf of those loved ones, on behalf of the people in your world that don't know hope, they don't know Jesus. Maybe they did at one point, but they've drifted away. They think it's all lost. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You're the author, the perfecter of faith. And God, we ask that you would initiate, Lord, a, 
a journey of redemption, of restoration, of healing, God, of wholeness, of salvation in the lives of our friends, our family, God, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, God, in the name of Jesus, family members. And for those, God, that have strayed away, they've kind of drifted off, God, we ask that you would help them to overcome anything, any shame, any guilt, any bitterness, anything that is keeping them away from you. You are the center. And we ask, God, that you would draw them back to you in the name of Jesus. God, and anything, anything, God, that would prevent them, God, we ask that you would just remove that. Any lies or any deceit or any confusion from the enemy, God, just help that to dissipate like a mist. And, and help them to have clarity to see you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. It's in your name that we pray. Now, can we pray for one more thing? Can we pray for our city? Pray for the city where God has planted you. Pray for your job. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your school. Pray for your, your acquaintances. Pray for the people that you run into as you do life, at the gym, at the grocery store. Begin to pray. Begin to pray in your own, in your own words. Be specific as you're praying. Allow God to inspire your prayers on behalf of the city and the place where he has planted you. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, we pray today, God, for the city of Fridley, for Spring Lake Park, God. We pray for Coon Rapids. We pray for Blaine. We pray for Andover. We pray for Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center, God. Circle Pines, God, in the name of Jesus. Moundsview, God, we just ask that you would reach every community. And Lord, wherever you've planted us, Wherever you have salted our communities with our presence, God, bring us into contact with the people, God, that we are meant to inspire, we are meant to reach, much like you did with Ananias. Lord, you can count on us, Lord, to be able to be representatives, people that would be able to come and bring hope and share healing and be able to reflect you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Pray for our, our city officials, God, and for anyone in authority, our schools, educators, God, business owners, everyone within the reach, God, of where we have been planted. We speak your blessing, God, your favor. Let them encounter you. Let them find hope in you. Let the best days, God, for our communities be ahead as they find you at the center. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.